Exactly. There you go. Thank you, Miles. At least Miles gets my obscure 80s references. So, friends, come on back now that you have your sugar and your caffeine. Thank you for supporting the Youth Bake Sale. Uh, we're going to hand things over to Dean, and I will pray for him. So, let us bow our heads. It's never a good idea to hand out sugar before we start. All right, so, dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to listen to our friend Dean and for the... Um, awesome things that you have downloaded into his brain for us. Open our ears and only let him share what is of you. Amen. Thanks. Didn't mean to make you nervous. Here. No, that's fine. Yay. You know, uh, first of all, I want to thank you because uh, a lot of you know my wife was in a car accident a few weeks ago and she's still recovering and it's been uh, like she's she's okay she just can't do much she has a bad concussion still and a lot of you have helped us with food and prayers and rides and such and I just want to thank you it's been very helpful it's also the reason that um it was really hard to prepare for a sermon because, man, I don't know how single parents do it, but it is busy. There's so much to do. So we'll see what I came up with. <laughs> I think it's good. I think I like it. I like some of the uh, the artwork you find. Like, look at this pretty. I don't. It doesn't show up that well, but look how happy everyone is. Jesus. Jesus even has a dove on his finger. Isn't, I mean, wow. <laughs> so cool. No, it's not working. Hey, it's face down, right? Did you, you did that. Okay, I got it now. So we're doing a sermon series on the upside-down kingdom, just looking at uh, children and how God uses them in our midst. And um, even more than that, Mark 10 is one of a kind of the, the passage we've used to guide us through the whole thing. So I'm going to read it to you. Uh, he's talking his, to his disciples there. Uh, Jesus says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Which is a pretty profound statement. It's a pretty crazy statement. I mean, often we look at children as less than or um, people who aren't adults yet. They're not as sophisticated they're not so we we almost discount them but jesus is turning it upside down and saying you know you should as adults be looking to the children because they're closer to god than you jesus is so crazy oh see there that's a picture of me in the uh downhill world championships last year okay well maybe it's not really me but um <laughs> Oh, you can hardly see it. I like mountain biking. 
what you can't see is that the guy's going down this trail that's really worn, so there's this really deep rut. And um, ruts are good in some ways. Like there's, I've been mountain biking on the North Shore probably 20 years, and there's certain trails where it's probably, like there's a rut almost two feet deep, which is basically the trail. And it's, it's good because it keeps you on the trail. But if you want to go any other way, you're hooped because you're in this rut and you can't get out. And in some ways, um, this is kind of a metaphor for adults. I've noticed in my mind many ruts. Um, maybe you have too in your own minds. Like just patterns of thought or patterns of thinking that I've been doing so long that that's just what I do. That's just how I do it. Sometimes I get really bored of myself, actually, because I'm always thinking the same things, and I'm always worried about the same things, and it seems really dumb. But this, in contrast to the adult mind, here's a child's mind. It's an empty field full of potential. <laughs> there are no paths. It could go anywhere, which in some ways is really awesome because they can think really freely and they can they can hear God really well, they can do things that wouldn't even occur to us, but in some ways it's really bad because they think of things that are really stupid and dangerous and they don't always know that they are, so they can get into a lot of trouble. So keep these images in mind, they'll, they'll come in helpful. Um, there are times... Let's back up a step. God, God takes human free will very seriously. And he doesn't, as a rule, doesn't really intervene in the world except through people. And he usually doesn't coerce people to do things. He'll ask them. So when we say God needed a child, it's not that God couldn't have done something without a, a child. It's more that God chooses to use people so there are situations where the only people that hurt him or were willing to do anything were children sometimes god needs someone who's not part of the system who's not part of the culture who's not part of the matrix if you will someone who is a free thinker and not used to the very narrow ways of thinking that we sometimes have as adults so we're going to go through the Bible, and um, I think I have about five examples we'll look at in more detail. And if you have a bulletin, on the, on the bulletin, I, you'll see scriptures for these, and there's, there's other examples, too, that I won't have time to get to. So let's begin way back. Um, so this is good. I don't know how much you guys know about biblical history. This will be a good overview of like the Old Testament in five slides. Um, so this is back when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And because God was blessing them, they were reproducing very well. And they had, they're becoming too numerous. So the Pharaoh, the king, didn't want that. So the, um, they were instructed to kill all the male children. And uh, Moses' mother didn't kill him. So there came a point 
where he was just getting too big to hide safely. Um, he was still quite young, as you can see by the picture. He, wa he was still an infant. So her plan was to put him in a basket in the river and hope that something, <laughs> hope that something good came out of that plan because it seems kind of crazy. And he, she sent her, Moses' sister Miriam was there watching the baby to see what would happen. And this is what happened. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then Moses' sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So that's pretty crazy. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think that Moses was basically condemned to death, and now he's back with his mother, and the mother's being paid to take care of him. God does stuff like that. And the reason is because Miriam was bold enough to say something. Like, think about it. Miriam is basically a slave child speaking to a princess. And she's, because she's a child, she's probably not really aware that she's not supposed to be doing that at all. And she's bold enough to suggest that her mother take care of Moses. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. Moving on, quite a few hundred years, actually. Um, we're now in the time where Israel is in the Promised Land, and they, uh, they don't have any kings ruling over them yet, so it's a bit of a turbulent time. Um, and the priesthood at this time was kind of corrupt. Um, Eli was the head priest, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests who were very corrupt. They would, they would do things like take the part of the offering meant for God for themselves, and they would, you know, have sex with people who came to worship, and they're very, very corrupt. And Eli wasn't really doing much about it. So in, during this time, um, Hannah offered her child Samuel to God and Samuel was staying in the temple with Eli so Samuel grew up in the temple and this one night God comes and speaks to Samuel so I'll read it in 1st Samuel 3 the Lord came and stood there calling as the other times Samuel Samuel then Samuel said speak for your servant is listening and the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At this time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, 
and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. So as the story goes on, um, Eli wakes up and, and knows that Samuel has heard from God and asks Samuel what God said. So Samuel tells him, and Eli basically says, yeah, yeah, I saw this coming. And, and it comes, and, it, and, and the whole Eli and his family end up um, dead eventually because God is passing judgment on them. But what's interesting about this is that, I mean, Samuel's fairly young here still, and God chose to speak to Samuel. And, the, and I think the reason is because Samuel would hear him. And no one else really was listening to God at that time. But Samuel was there and available and heard him. All right, so now um, later on in the history of Israel, they started to have kings that were um, in charge of the country. And Saul, King Saul, was... uh, kind of turned away from God, so God was looking for a new king, and Samuel was a prophet during that time. Now he's, he's grown up. He's actually getting quite old at this point. So Samuel was told to, the, to go to the family of Jesse to anoint the, the new king, and um, all of, Jesse got all of his sons there, and Samuel was trying to find out which one, waiting for God to tell him which one would be king. So we'll read here for Samuel 16. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely this is, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab was who you'd think of as king, you know, like big, strong guy, handsome, well-spoken, tough. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he goes through all the sons, and none of them are the right one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Interesting. None of them even considered that David would be the one to be anointed, so they just left him out in the field taking care of the sheep. You kind of have that in families, eh? If you're the last child of a large family, you're either... You're just kind of there and no one notices you, or you're like a very special child. It's usually one or the other. <laughs> How's it going, Miles? <laughs> you <look> good? <laughs> With your eyes closed. <laughs> anyway, Samuel said, send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So David was the chosen one, and he was still, he was probably a young teen, like old youth, kind of, and he was not who you would choose as king, 
really. He was a shepherd. He was a quiet guy. He liked, he wrote a lot of the songs. He liked poetry, you know. <laughs> but here we see David a few years later. Um, a few years later, the Israelites are fighting the Philistines, or they're about to. And for 40 days, the... Uh, the Philistines have this giant guy called uh, Goliath, like probably seven feet tall and just massive fighting guy that everyone was afraid of. And every day he would come out and taunt the Israelites and the Israelites would be too scared to fight him. And David came, David wasn't part of the army because he was too young still, so he was bringing supplies to his brothers. And he saw this Goliath and he said, well, what the heck? Why is, why is no one fighting him? Why are we just letting him say this? So he ends up talking to King Saul and says, um, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So he does. And when he's out there, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As I'm sure many of you know, this, as the story goes, he has like a slingshot there, and he shoots the rocket. Goliath hits him in the head, knocks him down, and then he takes Goliath's sword and kills him, cuts off his head. Good times. So that's... If you think of a teenager, doesn't that sound like the kind of thing a teenager would do? <laughs> Like, who are you, man? I'm, you know, teenagers kind of have this invincible nature about them, especially boys. And they're kind of, like, rebellious, and they're, they tend to be idealistic. So if, one, if you have a teenager sold out for God, they can do amazing, crazy things that no one else would ever consider doing. And that's what David did. He had, he just, he took, but it was in the name of God. He trusted, he had so much faith in God and he had that crazy youth spirit with him that he, he won a victory for God. <laughs> Unfortunately, the, the Bible doesn't give us the name of this. The boy who tells the centurion about the plot against Paul. <laughs> the, couldn't find a picture of this one either. It's a little bit more of an obscure story. Um, so we're into the New Testament now, and Paul had a way of speaking his mind that kind of hmm, got him in a lot of trouble, shall we say. And he was in Jerusalem, and he spoke his mind and got in a lot of trouble, so he got arrested and annoyed a lot of people. So in Acts 23, the next morning some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, 
We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring before you, bring him before you, on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case, and we are ready to kill him before he gets here. Which is a good plan if you're trying to get rid of someone. Um, unfortunately, Paul's nephew heard this plan. So he went to Paul and told him about it, and then went to the guards that were guarding Paul and told him about it. And um, they got an army together and secretly moved Paul to another location so that nothing became of this. So here again, um, God used a child, used a child who, because no one thinks, no one probably even noticed the child there, he overheard this, and he was bold enough to talk to Paul about it and ended up saving Paul's life. And so we ended up getting a lot of the New Testament, which we wouldn't have had otherwise if Paul had died. <laughs> Yay. Thanks, boy, who sells centurion about plot against Paul. <laughs> Good work. And this will be my last example. Mary. So Mary was a teenage single mom, which... We don't think much of these days, but um, in that culture, in that time, it was pretty much enough to get you killed, like stoned, because that's completely inappropriate. So we'll pick up the story here. Um, When the angel comes and talks to Mary, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, and I don't know really how much Mary thought about this before she answered, because that's a pretty crazy promise, and I think she just took it on faith that it's God's God's will and God's going to take care of things, and again, kind of that, that youthful, yeah, God can do this, that, that not thinking about consequences, just acting kind of thing. Which So Mary is um, agreement to what the Lord has suggested is very profound. And we can learn a lot from that. And there are more, which I'm not going to go to. And they're on the handout too. So you can keep studying this if you want. In any case, scripturally, it does seem that God needs children, and God does use children for some very important purposes during some very important times. Um, the whole, pretty much the whole book of Daniel is about Daniel and his buds, and they're all uh, they're teenagers or young adults, and it's amazing what God does through them. God is often more willing to use children than we are.
Why does God do this? Well, who knows? It's God. But here's a few thoughts that I have. Um, as Wade talked about, just the innocence and the purity of children. Like, children have a... In some ways, they seem closer to God just because they don't have... They have that kind of innocence about them. They haven't, hopefully, sinned quite as much as we have at this point. And if they have, they don't seem as aware of it. So there's kind of this innocence. So they seem to be closer to God, and and they can hear God very well, probably because they don't realize that it should be hard, like we think often. We often make it too difficult. They often are very, they have great faith in many things, actually. Um, They tend to not complicate things. They're bold. They don't really have those boundaries we have. They don't have those ruts of thinking. They have that open field of a mind. So, what about us? We can learn things from this. We can try to be more like children. We can um, let God be God in our lives instead of instead of discounting some things that might be God or God speaking to us, we can just believe in faith that they are. I think it's, I think it's better. I, I was involved in a rather charismatic movement when I was first a Christian, and some of the things people believed, you're just like, really? Like, have you taken leave of your senses? But then I thought, you know, I would rather be that way I would rather believe that God is doing something that he's not doing than to be so skeptical that I never attribute anything to him. So I think it's better to be too believing rather than too skeptical. Availability, not ability. God is, I'm sure you've all heard this before too, God is just really, there's a lot of situations where God wants to do stuff and there's no one that's going to do it. And all you have to be is the person that says, yeah, I'll do it. And God will empower you one way or another to do it. So saying, I can't do that, or I don't know how to do that, is not an excuse. Sorry. Uh, Ezekiel 22. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap, on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. This is when um, Jerusalem is being restored. But the whole idea here that God is looking for someone to do things, and in this case, he didn't find anyone, but let's be the people who actually are willing and say, yes, Lord, we'll do it. Really, this whole sense I mean, we're talking mainly about children here, but the whole idea is that God uses everyone, and often he uses people that we wouldn't use. Often God is closer to the people that are more desperate, to the people that um, are different, that don't fit into society. God is often closer to those people than, than to the people who are part of mainstream society and, and, and fit in. The people on the fringes, God seems to be very close to. It's one of the awesome things about this church, one of the awesome things about Chili Wagon is just that opportunity to be with people who I think God are probably closer to than I am. 
and to learn from them. I'm going to give you, I mean, this isn't just in, in the scripture, you know. This is God today, too. God still uses children, and God is still close to children. Um, here's an example. This is my daughter, Kaylee. And this summer, she uh, was, she went to a camp, Camp Yukon, just outside of Whitehorse, and she was a counselor. And it was just, it was very cool to see her um, taking children under her wing and teaching them about God. And, and actually seeing the growth in her was quite cool as well. But so God definitely uses children. And I can think of, Rose and I were just talking about um, our children and times in our lives where they just, they just had a word from God that we needed to hear that we didn't hear. Just words of faith and, you know, things are going to be okay or God's going to give us some money to do this. And, and they come true. So we need children. What I have in my mind is kind of this, we have this tendency to categorize things. So, you know, there's adults and children, or there's, there's people on the fringes of society, there's mainstream people, there's people with mental illness or handicaps, people that are, don't have that. And I think God is much more inclusive and much more holistic in just seeing people. These are people. And we all have a sense of equality. We all have different abilities, but we all equality. We're all children of God. We're all loved by God. God can speak and does speak to all of us and can do things with any of us. There's no one who is disqualified. But children in particular here, there's a few. Children are the hands by which we take hold of heaven. And the soul is being healed by being with children. Just the sense that there's something special about being with kids and closer, they're just closer to God. So in some ways, we should get them up here to, to be teaching us, I think. So we need to give room for that. We need to give room for children to relate to God. But of course, children don't have those boundaries, so it'll be messy which is unpleasant sometimes. There's not, they need guidance. They'll, they'll, yeah, there's messiness. Kingdom of God is messy. But if you can tolerate that messiness and make room for things to happen, you can expect to hear and see God at work. So there's always this balance between structure and openness to God. Holy. We're going to be done super early. <laughs> How about that? Um, it's because of the great emceeing. Yeah, keeping us on track. Good work, Wade. Um, so, as we finish up, <laughs> have you uh, just think about some times where you witnessed a time or situation where God used a child in your life or in someone else's life. If you have children, I'm sure you've seen this. Um, think about yourself. 
what is keeping you from relating to God as a child? Some of you are very childlike already, which is great, closer to God. And some of us are too sophisticated, but um, there's just things that, are, that we think, ways that we think, those ruts again that keep us from relating to God well sometimes. If you want to spend more time on this, you could study some of the examples that we looked at this morning or um, in the bulletin and see what you can learn and apply to your own life. So that is the conclusion of today's message. Um, don't know what to do. We could, uh, we could pray. Praying's always good. So, Lord, I just thank you that... Actually, I thank you for the inclusivity of your kingdom. That we, all of us, no matter who we are, no matter how much we have it together or how messed up we are, can participate in the kingdom and how you're, you're near to all of us. But as we think of kids in particular, Lord, I pray that you would help us as adults to make room for them to relate to you and to make room, however that looks, for them to hear you and do your work. So I pray that as we go this week, you would just help us to see to see children in a new light, to see others in a new light. Yeah. And I pray your blessings on us this week. Amen.